I want to talk to you today, and I, I, I don't think I'll talk to you too long. Uh, I want to do more teaching than preaching, and last time I said that, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, Pastor, you lied. Uh, but I, I do want to talk, you know, the Alliance is very focused on the first Sunday of every month, you know you're going to have communion. Communion is an amazing thing. It helps us to reflect and, and to walk back. And I want to talk to you about communion. It's pretty easy sometimes in, in our walk and our relationship with God or with God's people that we pick up terminology. Sometimes we call it Christianese uh, because it's, it's a language unto itself. Some of the things that we talk about, about the blood of Christ, about communion, about uh, redemption. And, and it may not be something that you're familiar with, or it may be something that you're so familiar with that, that you have forgotten. Have you ever gone back to, to uh, something that you haven't done in a long time because you just got tired of it or you did it so many times and then, then you l just leave it alone and then you come back later and you realize wow this is really good I want to talk to you today about communion it was I'm so glad that every one of you here those that are watching online uh, you know those that are that are visiting with us uh, I was I was blessed uh, by a conversation I just had with with Scout uh, she grew up in this church, and she showed me pictures of, of it 50 years ago when Pastor Epperson was here. And, and uh, isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing to be able to go back and see those things? I, I, I want to talk to you in particular about communion and what it is. What is communion? You say, well, it's, it's what we do to remember the blood of, of Christ that was shed for us. And yes, it is, but it's far more than that. Communion, by definition, is the sharing and exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings on a spiritual level. It's not just walking up and drinking a, a, a little cup and, and eating a, a cracker and saying, thank you, Jesus. It's far more than that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul was talking to the church there in Corinth and, and they were having issues in the church and Paul addressed them and said, you have to take communion in a worthy manner because if you don't, it, it, will, it will bring destruction and ruin to your spiritual life. He said, some of you have even died because you're not regarding communion in a proper manner uh, I don't know about you when I first came into church communion uh, the type of church that I was in communion was very sacred very holy it was it was taken three or four times a year and they took it very seriously they let you know that they were going to have communion and it and gave you ample time to pray and fast and make sure there was nothing wrong in your life because nobody wanted to take it unworthily and fall out and have them drag you out of the church. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Uh, that was a joke. Uh, communion in its, in its primary focus is a time for us 
to reflect not only on what Christ did, but it's a time to have an intimate relationship with your Creator. It's time to, to have an, a, a conversation that is honest. Because if honesty is anything in communion, it's everything. Honesty has to be paramount, not only in our hearts, but in our minds as well. We have to be honest. We are speaking with the one that knows us better than we know ourselves. Have you ever had a, a moment uh, of communion with, with another person, perhaps your spouse or your children, where, where you know you're just talking to them and it's just you and them, and, it, and it's more than a surface conversation. You're having a deep personal connection with that person. When you're looking in their eyes and they're looking in yours, and you not only see the love, but you feel the love. Have you ever been there? I've been there with my wife, with my children, with my grandchildren. I've had those moments with brothers and sisters in Christ. I remember uh, one of our members that moved away uh, to the backwoods of West Virginia. Hi, Dennis. Uh, I didn't really know Dennis that well when I first moved here, and he came by, and was, we were visiting together in my office, and we just started talking, and the presence of God came in. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we both started crying. Souls bonded. We were one in Christ. That's what I'm talking about in communion. Communion is far more than just a casual glance back and saying, Oh, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. It's about us reflecting and getting into position where we can have an intimate conversation with the almighty God and that we can be honest with him and you say well well maybe we need to be perfect it's not about perfection communion's never been about perfection communion in in all of its essence is to remind us that we are not perfect but there was one that is and because of him we can enter into the very presence of God. So to understand communion, we first need to look at the atoning work of the cross. And atonement is, is a word that we use. Uh, we're reflecting on atonement. Atonement is a sacrifice for us, for our sins. Christ gave as he surrendered his life on our behalf. Atonement in, in another way would be, it's a reparation. It's reparations or a repayment of, of, for something that was wrong. It's, so communion or atonement rather is reparations for the restitution for the damages caused and inflicted by our sin. By our sin, uh, our sin is just disagreement with God. 
our sin, that when we have gone against God, we are in a position where our relationship with Him is broken, that we need restitution. But we really can't even understand the atonement and why God would want us to be uh, reconciled to him without understanding holiness. Holiness isn't an amazing thing. It, it's not something you can go buy at the store. You can't, you can't uh, buy it. You can't manufacture it. You can't produce it. In fact, there's no one holy other than God. Holiness is the very nature. It's the very essence of who God is. If you want to understand atonement, if you want to understand why Christ came, you have to understand the very nature of God, that he is holy. What is holiness? Holiness in simplicity is 100% purity. 100%. Not 99.999, but 100% pure. That simply means that God is always right, He's always just. He always has the right motive. He always says the right thing. He always does right because he always is right. He is holy. He is per perfection in all things. And sin is contrary to that. It is in opposition in its very nature against the nature of holiness in God. See, sin is something that, that repulses God, that he cannot reside in the same place. It's not just a dislike. It's, it's not like when you, when you go to a, a restaurant or when, you're, when your mom would, would serve one of the two favorite dinners that you had, take it or leave it. And... and you know, and you had the asparagus there, or you had the broccoli, and you say, I don't like that. Not, it's not a dislike like that. It's not something that God, eh, I don't like it, but God's holy. He cannot reside with sin. Sin and God cannot look like they cannot abide in the same place just as light and darkness cannot abide in the same place when light comes in darkness is dispelled holiness and sin cannot abide in the same place god is holy and the atonement is the price paid by Christ so that we could enter in to a relationship with God, a holy God. Atonement is built in God's moral and natural law, in his spiritual law. The law is an expression, that the law that was given to Moses. That law is an expression of God's will and character. It's not a list of things that we do or don't do. It's not a whole list of, well, we don't do this, we don't do that, we don't do that. No, the law was helping us to describe the very nature and character of God. Let me give you an example. God does not murder. 
God does not steal. God does not covet. So all of the things that are in God's nature, His holy nature, that forbids some things and includes others, the things that are forbidden are the things that go against His nature. The things that are accepted are the things that are like His nature. For example, God is love, therefore He commands us to love. But God does not lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, he says, don't lie to your friend. Don't lie to your neighbor. Speak the truth. Why? Because it's a good thing? No, because God is holy and God cannot lie. Therefore, he wants us to not lie. All of the Old Testament law that was given was really a, a way for us to understand the very nature of God. It, the law of God was somewhat like a blueprint on how we can build an understanding of the nature of God. That we, you can take a blueprint for a house and you can realize this, you can use this to build this structure so you can see what you want to produce. And the law was a blueprint that we, helps us build and understand a structure of understanding the very nature of God. God is holy. What does that mean? That means he is completely perfect. He doesn't lie. He doesn't steal. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't take that which is not his. God is God, and he wants us to walk in a relationship with him, and he can't uh, walk in that relationship if we have sin because holiness and sin do not abide together so when we interact with the law of God we are actually interacting with God those commandments tell us what God is like and a violation of those laws whether by commission by we do them or omission we fail to do them carries a serious consequence of punishment and death. Genesis 2, 15, 17, God speaking to Adam and Eve, he said, the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall die. God's not saying, don't do this or else. God is simply telling them his very nature. Don't eat this. Don't do this. Don't go against my law or you will die. What kind of death? Well, there was a physical death applied to it. But there was also a spiritual death, a separation. Can you imagine Adam and Eve? I, I go over this over and over and over in my mind. Can you imagine God coming down in the cool of the day? We, most, of it, most theologians believe he came down in a theophany or an angelic type body. Perhaps he looked like Christ. We don't know. But, but can you imagine God coming down every day and talking with you? Asking you how your day was and, and what you enjoyed. Can you imagine that? That's the relationship that God wants to have with us. 
But the thing that separates us is our sin. He's holy. He cannot change. He is not going to change. The only way that we can have a relationship with him is if we change. And the very nature of humanity is we can do nothing about it on our own. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. Death is the only sentence of all that goes against God's holy nature. God is pure. He's holy. If we were to enter into the presence of God with sin, we would be destroyed. And here we are. God wants a relationship with us because God is love. And, and I don't know why God loved humanity so much. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just says, for God so loved the world. He so loved you. He so loved me. This holy God that, that cannot abide in the presence of wrongdoing. That he is so holy and he is so pure and he is so righteous and, he is, and his judgments are true that when he sees something that is wrong, he makes a judgment and the judgment for sin is death physically and spiritually. And yet the human condition is such that humanity is powerless to affect a positive change in their status with God. You and I cannot change our relationship with God. I don't care how good you try to be, I how many good deeds you do. And I, I, I believe in doing good things. I like to be a good person. I like to be a, try to be a a moral person. I like to try to treat my neighbor as I would like to be treated. Now, and yet, that's not good enough. I like to give. I like to give to other people. I like, like to give. And, and by the way, thank, thank you, for this church, for, for the, the gift for pastor's appreciation. I know I say that on behalf of Nancy and I and for Sam and Caitlin. We appreciate it so much. But you know, there's, there's no amount of giving in this life that can build a relationship with God. And that's why Christ came. That's why we have the Messiah. Because God, knowing the condition of humanity, knowing that we were unable to save ourselves, Christ came. And you say, well, why, why Christ? Why did it have to be the Son of God? In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament laws, when there was a sacrifice, that sacrifice had to be a lamb without blemish, pure. See, the sacrifice for sin had to be pure, 100% pure. No blemish, no mark. That means 
for a human being to do that, they would never have had to say a wrong word, never had to have a bad thought. They would have to be pure. The Bible says that all have sinned. All have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why God had to robe himself in flesh. That very purity, that holiness, robed himself in flesh and walked among us. See, man didn't ascend to, to God. God descended to humanity. Jesus added humanity to his deity. Philippians 2, Paul writes about this in chapter, Philippians chapter 2. He said, being in the very form of God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, made himself, and took upon him the form of a servant. What was he saying? That God himself became one of us in every aspect human. It boggles the minds. It, it is beyond our understanding that a creator that, that, could, that could just speak the world into existence, everything we know, whether it is the atomic structure and molecules and everything that this whole world is comprised of and, and the mountains and the sky and the, and the water and the beauty and the majesty and you go beyond this world and you see the other planets and you see the other galaxies. Everything was spoken by this majestic holy God. He said, let there be, and it was. And that same God loved this humanity so much that he became part of his creation. He didn't give up his deity. He only relinquished some exercising divine attributes. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was fully, completely human and fully divine. Jesus wasn't an outsider coming to save humanity, but he became one of us. Galatians 4 tells us that Jesus took on him the full nature of humanity. Everything about humanity Jesus took upon himself. He understood what it was like to be hungry. He understood what it was like to be tired. He understood all of the emotional array and spectrum that, that all humanity embraces and feels and encompasses. He was fully human in everything as we are. Jesus experienced all the psychological understanding, all the psychological bombardment of humanity. 
And yet Jesus always responded, right. In psychology, there is a, there is a, a theory that, or, that, that many psychologists use. It's R-E-B-T. It's a Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. And, and, and it's, it's really pretty fascinating if you ever have a chance to, to look at it. But basically, it, it just says this. For every, for every act in your life, for every act in your life, there's going to be a reaction, and, and that reaction is either going to be rational or irrational. And that irrational or ir irrational is going to be based upon your beliefs in your life. Jesus had everything happen to him that you and I have, and the Bible says he was tempted, tempted in all points as we are. And yet, here's the most important part of that verse, yet without sin. You see, Jesus was fully human in the fact that he was tempted in everything else, but his spirit, his divine nature is God. He's holy. He cannot abide sin, and he cannot endure sin he cannot commit sin that's why Christ was able to walk this world in this life for 33 and a half years as a as a lamb without blemish he is the perfect sacrifice for our sin in the Old Testament and the sacrifices they were all fulfilled with Christ See, in the Old Testament, the, the sacrifices of bulls and lambs and, and goats, they, they atoned for the sins of the transgression that deserved punishment. They, they, they made payment for it. It didn't remove it, it, and it didn't change the sinner that deserved punishment. It just moved that ahead. It, it, God looked at that, that sacrifice and he didn't lay the verdict on that person. They just moved it ahead. God saw the sacrifice rather than the sin. And what's amazing, and if you look at Leviticus chapter 1, there was always a connection between the sacrifice and the one offering the sacrifice. The guilty party that brought the lamb, if you were bringing a lamb that was offered for your sins, you would bring that lamb and you would put your thumbprint on that lamb and you would hold that lamb and you were marking that lamb as an atonement for your sin. And that lamb had to be perfect. When you think about Jesus coming and he, and he overturned the money changers' tables, he wasn't doing it because he was mad. He was doing it because they had made the offering of sacrifices cheap. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about costly grace versus cheap grace. 
cheap grace is when we take communion and we say, ah, yeah, thank you, God. Costly grace is when you realize that Jesus is the Lamb, the perfect sacrifice for us. And that when we come to Him, we put our sin on Him. And He took our sin for us. The difference between Christ and the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament was the blood of the lambs and bulls could not remove the sin. They just moved them ahead. But when Jesus was sacrificed, his blood is sufficient. He, for once and for all, and for all eternity, the blood of Christ not only pushes our sins ahead, but it washes us clean. It removes the sin. We are no longer considered a sinner in the eyes of God, not because of what we've done, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed, that perfect Lamb of God. John 3.17 says, For God sent His Son into the world not to condemn it, but through Him the world would be saved. Christ came. Christ is that perfect Lamb. And the blood of Christ doesn't just move our sin ahead. It washes us clean. So when, Christ, when God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees somebody that's pure. Somebody that he can have a relationship with, not because of our goodness, but because of Christ's. What asked, uh, Chad, would you come, praise team, would you come? We're going to partake in communion. Jesus told us to as often as we do this it, he doesn't give us a a certain amount of time doesn't say do it every week doesn't say do it the first Sunday of every month he says when you as a group as a body of believers do this do it in remembrance of me we're taking communion because it's a personal intimate relationship of mind and heart We are to examine ourselves in the most honest way possible. Knowing that Christ came and died for us, that, that we could have a relationship with, with the Father. Now, now that we have a relationship with the Father, he says to not only have a relationship with him, but with one another. And when we take communion, we are to examine our lives. And if there's something in our life that shouldn't be there, we can ask forgiveness. And that's something that's either between you and God or between you and someone else.
And you say, well, what if, what if I'm struggling with something in my life and I know that it really doesn't please God, but I'm really struggling, but I'm trying to get rid of it, but it's still there. That's where the honesty comes in. Be honest with God. He knows you better than you know yourself. Trust Him. Trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the blood of bulls and goats only worked a little while, but the blood of Jesus never loses its power. If it washed you clean yesterday, you'll be clean today, and you'll be clean tomorrow, and you're going to be clean the next day, and the next day, and the next day, because the blood of Jesus does a thorough cleansing of all sin. Matt, would you please come on this side? Jose, could I have you come over here, please? What I'd like to do is, in just a moment, we'd like to open up the communion table. And then, if you would please come, take the elements, and then we will take them together today. Normally, uh, we take them as an individual. I would like to take them as a collective today. So, would you please come?